Praise the Lord. Thank you, and happy Easter, everyone. You know, at home, I have loads and loads of stuff about Easter. Very interesting stuff, fascinating stuff, and stuff I would love to bring to you. But I'm not going to, because it kind of doesn't work like that. A few weeks ago, when Pastor Tom asked me to, to, to preach on Easter Sunday today, I felt almost immediately... Look at me, folks, please listen. I felt almost immediately that I, I knew what God wanted to say. And it's a, a bit of a recap, if you like, of the word that has been going out, that has been coming to us for about six weeks. Now, look at this. How can I put it? Let's say a, a, a woman is just about to have a baby, and she rings her husband who's at home, and she says, Hi, hubby, I've just had the baby. Does the husband then go out and buy a cot? Does the husband then decorate the bedroom? Why? Because before the child was born, before the child was conceived, the father, any good father, will have already fully provided for the child. Do you know what scripture says? Before you were born, I knew you. There's a thing called foreknowledge. And any good father will have provided for every need of the child that is on the way. And God has known of you, known you, foreknowledge, eternally. And the way I see it is this. Imagine your name is written on that door. Jim Tran. Peter. Put your name on that door. The way I see it, and it's almost like a vision, I see that in the courts of heaven or in the heavenly storehouses, there's a room with your name on it. And in there is every good thing that your good father has destined for your life on earth. That's good news, amen? amen. No, sorry, it's not. <laughs> because you can't have it. <laughs> Sorry about that, but you can't have it. You can only acquire, receive the stuff, the life in that room one way, by faith. Everything to do with God operates by faith. And even, it must be, I mean, can you imagine how frustrating that would be as a father to have planned a life to have blessed, to have sent your son to die so that you could have life in all its fullness, but they don't receive it. How frustrating that must be. And as we, you know, prayed about it over the last few weeks, I felt Jesus say, forgive me for saying this, I don't mean it to sound clumsy or awkward. Of course, thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. How can I even put that into words? Pastor Tom was saying on Friday night, you've got to get past the cross. You've got to move on from the cross. And I'm sorry, folks, but when, when he says that, he said that many times, some people think they need to walk out, you know. Some people, well, what sort of pastor is that? Did you hear what he said? He said, I've got to get past the cross. But that's exactly what we, you know, the center of the Christian life is not the cross. It's the resurrection. 
Amen. Amen. It's the resurrection. It's Christ alive in me. Listen, please, please listen. Do you know what we focus on? We say, oh, hallelujah, it's Easter. Jesus is alive up there. Well, Jesus is supposed to be alive in me, in you. That's the point. It's not the cross so much. It is the resurrection. And I think Jesus, excuse me, I'm paraphrasing. I'm putting this in my words. But I think Jesus would say to me and to you this Easter, enough about me at Easter. What about you? I died so that you would have resurrection life. I gave my life for that. And that's what I want to see worked out. So let's just reverse the focus today. And let's talk about you. And how your resurrection life is developing, is growing. Turn to John's gospel a moment. Look at this. John chapter 14, verse 2. You, you, you'll, you'll know this scripture off by heart. John chapter 14, verse 2. In my Father's house, there are many mansions or places or rooms. There's your room right there. See? There's that room that God has prepared for you, that room, that heavenly storehouse in which exists every good blessing that God had planned for you. If you like, it's your Father's dream. And I want to ask you this morning, what do you think was the Father's dream for your life? And how much of that dream have you received? Or are you pursuing your own? Have you made a mistake like gazillions of other Christians? Have you pursued your own ends without seeking God, without asking God? What do you think the Father's dream is for you? Could I have my second slide up there, please? Remember a few weeks ago we looked at this. Scripture speaks of three levels of faith, starting at the bottom and working up there. Little faith, great faith, and perfect faith. Now remember, we only get resurrection life, we only acquire that by faith. You can only receive this by faith, resurrection life. And that's why this is important. Now some of you, I don't want to offend anybody, some of you got saved, you received saving faith, and you have not done one thing since then. You, the only faith that you have is that deposit, if you like, of saving faith. Now, that is very little faith. Little faith says that God can, but that doesn't really mean anything. Hey, can God raise the dead? Yeah, so what? I mean, so what? The devil believes that God can. It's not the fact that we believe that God can. That makes any difference. Those who believe God can remain double-minded. That's what little faith is. Whenever we believe with one half of our mind and we doubt with the other, right? So we all live in little faith on some issues in our life. But the next one up, and this is where we should grow into resurrection life. We should be advancing to great faith. Great faith overcomes the doubts that exist in little faith. Great faith still has doubts, but it overcomes those doubts and it appropriates the promises of God. You understand? So it's, it's a great thing. That's where the overcomers live. Perfect faith is based on the Word. Right? 
Now you analyze yourself. You think of yourself. Little faith will always, always find a reason why it can't happen. Little faith says, you know, oh, I know that God heals the sick, but, but, remember the story of David and going in to kill Goliath when the 12 spies went out and they came back and 10 of them said, everything that God said is true. There is a place, there is a storehouse, there is a promised land. What was their next word? But, you see, that's little faith. I know I'm sick, and I know that God heals the sick, but it's not going to happen me. I know that I tithe, I know that I do this, but I know that there's a revival in Bogota, but that's little faith. You can hear it, and I want you to become smart to it, right? Bright to it, and hear it, and get it out of your system. It's got no place in the church. Amen. It's got no place in the church. I need to grow up in faith so that I can appropriate the resurrection life that my Savior bought for me. That's what I need to do. I need to advance this faith. Scripture says that we should move from faith to faith, glory to glory, right? Well, there's your faiths. There's your faiths right there. You assess yourself. And ask yourself, where am I on that ladder, on that list? Now, it's okay, as I say. Little faith. We're always in little faith on something in our lives where we're trying to conquer, but there should be different aspects of your life where you should be attaining up to perfect faith. Faith for me is the pearl of great price. Jesus told a parable where there was a man who went out and he found a pearl and he went and sold everything he had so that he could gain that pearl. Well, that pearl, friend, is faith. Because faith is the master key when you understand it. Faith is the master key to everything that is in the kingdom. Amen. Look at your notes. I've given you some outlines of the word faith and just what the word means because there's a lot of very misleading concepts, I think. In Hebrews 11, you know that scripture. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for. And it's the Bible's only real definition of the word faith. But to be honest, I think it's a very misleading definition. Because there's only one difference between the Greek word for faith and the Greek word for hope. You know, and the, the only difference is timing. Because hope in the Greek, we don't have an English word. There isn't one. We don't have a corresponding word in English for the Greek word hope. So the best the translators can do is they think, uh, what shall I say? I know, hope. But you know hope in English, in the English language, is vague, right? I hope maybe, perhaps. Hope is weak in English. But the Greek word for hope is not weak. The Greek word for hope is concrete. It's sure. The only difference between faith and hope in the Greek language is timing. That's all. Faith knows it's going to happen, if you like it already has. Faith has it, but hope is, is waiting and not sure about the timing. Do you understand? I just want you to know that because you, you don't need to tolerate doubt. You know, some people confuse, I think, faith, uh, hope with doubt. Hope is not a doubting thing in Scripture. Hope is a concrete assurance 
of what's up ahead. Okay? I've given you a few pointers just there on faith, what faith is. Faith is an attitude, just as unbelief is an attitude. And I've got to change my attitudes as I grow up, as I become more mature, hopefully, as a Christian. I need to be able to look back and think, man, do you remember the way I was? Do you remember the way I used to think? Do you remember the way I used to react or speak? I need to change my attitude and get an attitude of faith, of positivity. Secondly, true faith is only ever seen in actions, right? Now, Scripture spells this out in many different places. In the book of James, it says that faith without works is dead. It's not faith at all. It's just words. So, only we, don't kid yourself. Don't fool yourself. Faith without works is not faith at all. And you shouldn't rely on that or lean on that or let yourself off the hook about that because it, it's, it's not going to do you any good. You need to challenge yourself and ask yourself, when was the last time I used my faith? That's what you need to do. That's a very mature question to ask yourself. When was the last time that God, who so graciously wants to grow me up, when was the last time I actually did something that required faith? For many believers, they have never done anything. Salvation is a gift. They received that faith, okay? But for many believers, they have never done one thing that required faith from them. And then we wonder why, whenever small problems come, we can't overcome them, because we can be as, as weak as water in this area. And of course, that's where the faith pledge is such a blessing because it's your workout. It's your spiritual workout. And the muscle power you gain through your pledge, you can use that faith in all the areas of the rest of your life. That's the hidden blessing that so many people miss. The faith that you acquire through pledging is the same faith that you live out of. It's a great blessing to you. Money couldn't buy it. Money couldn't buy it. I was having a discussion with somebody recently, privately. They wanted to talk about finance. And I was saying to them, listen, friend, I want faith more than I want money. What do you want? I want faith much more than money. Give me a choice. I'll take the faith any day. Because with faith, it's the pearl of great price. There's a guy with money, right? And he goes into a field and he finds faith. And he goes and he says, you know what? Uh, that's worth more. Exactly. Of course it is. This is the kingdom. But the kingdom only operates by faith. And so the man in the story, the man in the parable gets it. And he goes and sells everything to acquire faith because he knows with that he becomes a world changer. You can be that person. But you know what the problem is? You haven't believed it. You have not found it. And so the actions do not follow. Now, a few warnings because Scripture gives some amazing warnings about faith in the last days. In fact, let me show you one of them. Revelation chapter 13, verse 13. Look at this. 
Revelation chapter 13, verse 13, talks about the power of the Antichrist, the devil, in the last days. And it says, And he do great wonders, so that he makes fire come down out of heaven onto the face of the earth in the sight of men. And by that, he deceived many. Listen, folks, please, please. It's very serious, this is. In the last days, these are the last days, Scripture says that we're going to see some demonstrations of the devil's faith. Because everybody's got faith. We're going to see some awesome manifestations of, you know, evil faith at work. Because every human being, whether they're saved or lost, you've got faith. That's how we work. We walk by faith physically. It's a faith action, right? Now, that's kind of scary. In London, you can go in, you can pay 20 pounds, and you can go and see the monks. And you go in, you sit around a table, you know, and the monk is lying on the table. So you sit there, and as the monk starts to exercise his faith, the monk starts to levitate. And he rises off the table. And the reason you sit at the table is because you, you, you understand there's no trickery. You put your hand in, and the people go, ooh. And they go out, and then the next batch come in. See, that's, how do they do that? Faith. Faith. We've all got faith. If I look at this seat, for example, if I look at this, and I look, I'm just, I need a seat to sit down, and I walk up, I'm looking, I'm making an assessment, but oh, I noticed that the leg is broken. I'm not going to sit in that seat. I've got no, I've got no faith. But there's another seat over there, and I look at it, and I make an assessment, I'm exercising human, natural faith. I look at it, say, that looks fine, I will take a step of faith. Everybody has faith. It's how God has designed the human race. But there's also demonic power. And people, you know, human beings, demons can exercise that power through people, which is where you see the levitation of the monks or any other thing. Now, I'm just saying that Scripture has warned us. Jesus has warned us that in the last days, there will be many spectacular signs that you can see. Now, I won't go into it this morning, but we saw some things, didn't we? When whew, there was so much voodoo in Africa, you know, uh, particularly in, in times gone by, still alive and kicking, but when, when a lot of the refugees came into Ireland about 15, 20 years ago, I mean, it wasn't just the family they brought with them. <laughs> we had such manifestations of demons and power. One guy was spinning off the ground, remember? I was very pleased with our congregation that day. Such power, such demonic power, right in the middle of the church, off the ground, spinning like a top. And thinking, oh, God. And the congregation were fantastic, very good. Gathered round, formed a circle, rebuked that spirit, and the guy hit the floor. Hallelujah. It's like just unplugging him, cut off the power. Great stuff. There will be manifestations of the devil's power in the last days. Revelation. Now I wonder, is the church going to be ready to fight back? I wonder if the Christians are going to be able, like Moses did. What did Moses do when the wizards came and formed it? What did Moses do? God help us read your Bible. What did Moses do? Greater miracles. Every miracle that the demons performed, Moses did greater, proving that God is greater. Amen. Now, we have been warned, we've been advised, we've been shown 
then in the last days, demons will exercise their faith. And that tells me that Christians have probably become weak in their faith. And when we are weak in our faith, the devil feels that he can manifest his. And demons start to exhibit in all manner of ways and even try to get into their, our fellowships. You see. So this, for me, is a big, big issue. I don't believe there's any way around it. There's natural faith, which you use to simply take a step. A child learns that. He's walking literally by faith. But that's not what we're talking about up here. This is spiritual faith. In fact, it's true faith and false faith. How do you know the difference? The object. That's how. The object of real faith, true faith, spiritual faith, is God. Look at Mark's gospel a moment. Mark's gospel, chapter 11, verse 22. Look at this. Jesus summed it up in one line. And Jesus answering them said, have faith in God. Mark chapter 11, verse 22. You know, that, and that is it in a nutshell. True faith and false faith is only, it's very easy to tell the difference because the person's faith will be in God. In fact, folks, you know, you, don't beat yourself up too much over this list. It's just a, a challenge. But as a word of encouragement, let me tell you this. See your Bible? See the people who received awesome miracles? Where, where do you think they were? Nearly all of them had little faith. Nearly every one of them. There's one or two exceptions, thank God. But nearly every person in Scripture who received awesome miracles were people who had little faith. It wasn't the size of their faith that enabled them to receive the miracle as such. It was the focus of their faith because their faith was in God, right? And that's how you tell true faith, real faith, it's in God. And when you see someone struggling with a miracle, struggling to receive a miracle, they know they should have it. They've had a glimpse into the room. They've had a vision. They, I know there's something for me, but I, I can't seem to get it. I can't seem to acquire that in my life. And that's a very frustrating existence for Christians. But if you listen to them pray or you listen to them talk, you know what they'll say? Oh, if only... I, if only I had more faith. And that's the problem. As much as, yes, I do grow my faith, but my focus is not on my faith. My focus is on God. Amen. You understand? Remember, back, the best example really in Scripture is still David. David and the soldiers. Goliath was ranting and raving. And the soldiers, when they spoke, what did they talk about? Goliath. They knew every detail about Goliath. When David spoke, what did David talk about? God. How great was his God? David's focus was in the right place. David's faith was in God. And David was I mean, speaking right, thinking right, and thus he acted right. Fantastic. So don't be discouraged because you see yourself with little faith. I have little faith on many issues. I have great faith on some issues. I have perfect faith on some issues. So it's okay as long as we're advancing. In fact, Jesus spelled this out this way. He says, if your faith was the size of a mustard seed, it's not the size of the faith. 
It's the focus. If your faith was the size of a mustard seed, but you were focused on God, you could say to this mountain, move, and it would move. You understand? Get your focus this morning on God. Get your focus on the same God that raised Jesus from the dead. Put your focus in the right place, and true faith, real faith, will start to grow in you. Next slide, please. There are many, many paintings, drawings of Daniel in the lion's den. But this one is the most famous and the most popular. Why? Exactly. Because of his focus. It was by a guy with an unfortunate name. is called Pratt. <laughs> but this is the most famous. He's an English classic painter because of the focus. He understood what had happened. He knew Daniel didn't overcome them. In the name of Jesus, sit down, lions. Daniel simply had a close, intimate, and there came the miracle because of the focus. You know, Hebrews 11, the most famous faith chapter in the Bible, all the way through you can read that. But when you get to Hebrews 12, the first two verses, what does it say? The conclusion, if you like, of faith. It says this, Therefore, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. Fix your eyes like Daniel, upward. Don't be down because you feel you have little faith. That's not going to get you anywhere. Be encouraged that you've got faith. Be encouraged. And keep your gaze on God, who is the author and the perfecter. That means finisher. He's the author and the perfecter, the finisher of your faith. He will bring you up the list. That begs the question, the next question there, oh, sorry, one more question before that. You could ask me, how much faith do I have? It's a very good question to ask, a very interesting assessment you can make of yourself. Ask yourself that question right now. How much faith do you have? But you know what the problem is? <laughs> we don't know. We don't know until we present you with a challenge. That's the only way we know. I've got to ask you to do something. I've got to ask you to make an endeavor of some sort, and only then will we know what's in your heart when you speak it out, because you will. Your, your, your tongue will betray you, and you will speak either positively in faith, or you will speak negatively from roots of unbelief that have never been dealt with. You understand? We don't know how much faith you've got. Words don't count here in, in that regard. It's action. And if you're still talking your way out, you need to accept the fact that there's probably very little faith in you. Problem. And then we just go about our lives like the guy next door. We have our job. We have our work. We have the average income. We have the average health. And there's nothing different in the Christian next door. And the supernatural, the miracles, the blessing, the power, the thing that set Israel apart, is just not there. And so there's no awe, because we fail in this part here, which is faith. So how much faith do you have? Go home and ask yourself that question. And that begs the next question. How do I get faith then? Please help me. How do I get more faith? Well, faith comes by hearing. 
And I thank God. You know, I was thinking the other day, if God said to me, Michael, like Job, I'm going to take everything from you, everything in your life, your cat, your wife. (laughs) I'm going to take everything from you. What do you want the last thing I leave you with to be? And I thought about it, and it was the cat. No, I'm only joking. Not you. (laughs) Okay. I thought about it. Do you know what it is? No, not not faith. Hearing. You see, faith comes by hearing. It's my hearing. And when I got saved, I'll explain why in a moment. I have always had good hearing from God. Always. From the day I got saved. Started in ministry and it's never left me. Been with me all those years. Didn't always understand why, but I always had it. And it's absolutely awesome. I love hearing. I love to hear from God. I hear effortlessly. I hear naturally. And you hear some of the craziest stuff. Honestly, wacky stuff that you just learn with practice. You learn not to reject the Word of God, you know. Um, some crazy examples I could give you. Uh, what we, we were moving at one point, and we were moving from Dublin to Liverpool, and I was going to start a business there, a property business. God had spoken to me, hearing, I want you to move to Liverpool. We had dinner. As we had dinner, God spoke to you and me separately. Go into the house, hearing. We went into that place. We started that business based on the word. Now, as I went back to Dublin to pack up, God spoke to me again. And this time he said, you're going to do A, B. There's a few things. And the last thing he said, there's going to be a postal strike. Now I thought, I'm really crazy. (laughs) There's going to be a postal strike. I said, right. Thus saith the Lord, there's going to be a postal strike. So I, you know, told Jeanette, I said, you know what? God said this, that, and the other. I said, this gonna be a postal strike. <laughs> so fine, no problem, you know, and you just, you take it. Now, those are the type of words that I wouldn't share. Some words I wouldn't even share with Jeanette. I just keep them to myself if they're about people, because I need to pray about those things. You're being trusted. God's speaking to you. Pray for this, for that person. You don't need to share that with anybody. It's private, okay? But some words like that, they sound so crazy that you don't share them with people because they think you're a nutcase. Some of you looking at me now, you do think I'm a nutcase, I can tell. (laughs) So we moved to Liverpool. Now, we were buying five buy-to-let properties. Now, if you've ever bought a buy-to-let property, you know that buying a property is paper intense. There's a lot of paperwork. Try buying a buy-to-let. Three times, four times, there's paperwork. Paperwork, letters, everything else. Now, I had a deadline to meet or we were going to lose many tens of thousands And as I moved to Liverpool, guess what? Postal strike. Couldn't achieve my business. I had seen the room, and God was looking. He said, oh, by the way, you need to be aware that up ahead there's an obstacle. There's a blockage in the way of your business. There's going to be a postal strike. Now, I thank God. I prayed about it. I didn't reject the word. But that word did two things for me. Number one, when the postal strike came, I became proactive. 
I decided, right, every letter that I need to get through, we're going to fax it, we're going to courier it, we're going we're gonna to overcome, because I've had a warning. You understand? You understand? <laughs> Don't ignore the word. And the second thing it did for me was no matter what the opposition came my way, I knew that God was on my side. So many people, you see, if you didn't have the word and you're trying to start a business and the postal strike comes, do you know what you'll do? You'll say, maybe I'm on the wrong road. Maybe this was me. Maybe I shouldn't have done it. You see, those two problems, just because of hearing, were overcome with one word. I knew that God was with me. But I also knew that I had to be very aggressive and proactive to overcome the devil's technique, if you like, to try to knock us out of prosperity's path. So hearing is, you cannot replace it. Faith comes by hearing. This is day one. No hearing, no faith. No hearing, and you will not advance in faith. Now, on this on this, I guess I'm radical and ruthless. So if, if I don't hear, if I've got something I need to hear about and I don't hear, believe me, I will stop at nothing. Nothing. I will stop at nothing until I have heard that word, until that is back in communication. That's how important it is. Look, Jeanette, if you stop talking to me, what am I going to do? Just get on with my life? Well, if God stops talking to you, what do you do? Just get on with your life? What, you crazy? You think you're going to succeed? Just, you can go your own way, natural faith. You might have great confidence in yourself, natural faith. But ultimately, your good father will block your path and bring you to your knees until you turn your ear to him and he counsels you once again. God is a jealous God. He wants your faith in him. He wants you close and boy, oh boy, does he know how to keep you there. He absolutely knows how to keep you there. And hearing and closeness, very, very important. Now, look at Romans a minute. I like this scripture. Romans chapter 10, verse 21. This is a sad line from God, but he stopped speaking to these people here, to Israel. Excuse me. Romans chapter 10 and verse 21. But to Israel, God said, all day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people, or a disobedient and obstinate or cheeky or stubborn people. All day long I've been talking to you, but you are disobedient and you are stubborn. And those two things caused God to stop talking. And I challenge you and I challenge myself, folks. When was the last time you heard? Because God, like these people here, God could be speaking to you. Hold all day long. I have stretched out my arms and I have been speaking to you. But you have been, number one, disobedient, and number two, stubborn. Now, please look up. Please listen. Full attention. In Jesus' name, I am very obedient. Our leaders are coming here in July. People, I've known three, four times as long as you, my overseers. I invite you, any one of you, go up to them 
and ask them, have I ever obeyed them? Uh, sorry, disobeyed them. <laughs> Go up and ask them, have I ever dis... Go on, be my guest. Because I know what the answer will be. You can ask any of them. And they will say, um, no. Everything we have asked Mike to do in 17 years, he has always done, whether he liked it or not, whether he agreed or not. I'm going somewhere. I wasn't an obedient child, but I put that right after I got saved and got down on my knees. I told you, I got down on my knees with my father and begged his forgiveness for my cheekiness and my arrogance as a child. You see, God's up here. Here's, my, here's me. Here's my mom and dad. Here's my teachers and my boss in work. And then ultimately up there, there's God. But there's certain principles at work here. I got to go back home because I want to hear. Got to go back home. Dad, I'm so sorry. So sorry for my attitude. And repent. And you know what? You're just one step closer to getting good hearing. Then I think about my attitude as an employee. Am I a good employee? Am I a bad employee? And I obey my bosses in work. I obey the government. And ultimately, of course, I obey the leaders in the church. And do you know what that will do for you? When you turn, he will speak. But there's principles here, principles I believe God does not negate. You must become obedient at lower levels first. And that's a great blessing because in the end, the, the end result for you will be faith because you'll be hearing from God and that will completely change your life. So number one, God said, all day long, I held out my hands to you, but you were disobedient. Might not just be to him, to other You had a disobedient attitude in you, right? Now, when I got saved, I was a very cheeky, rebellious Terrible, terrible guy, really. Awful. I couldn't work with anybody. And I had to snap that. I had to break that with, with months of fasting to get that attitude out of my system. It was awful attitude. I was a very bad leader. Terrible. But I hated that. And thank God, God dealt with that in me. So that was the disobedience out of the way. Now the next one. He said, all day long I've held out my hand to you, but you've been disobedient and stubborn. Oh, Stubborn. This, is, this stubbornness has got to do with faith. Helen, give us a wave. Gordon and Helen, give us a wave. Gordon, are you awake? Thank God. <laughs> this is Gordon and Helen. In many marriages, you get the positive and the negative, a bit like a plug, you know? <laughs> and then well, I come in and bring you down to earth. Hallelujah. <laughs> You've got a positive and a negative. Now, in this marriage, who do you think the positive one is? <laughs> Gordon. Gordon, who's the negative one? Helen. In the, oh no, it doesn't matter, Jeanette, it's okay. Shh, quiet. <laughs> In this marriage, who do you think the positive one is? Oh, very definitely Jeanette. Jeanette's the, the, the positive, and I'm actually the negative, right? So we go to Gordon's house every week. We go on Tuesdays to that cell group. And Helen will sit there, and Helen will say something negative. Like, I won't be able to sing. She should be in the choir, you see. Amen. <laughs> Helen will say, I, I, I'll, I'll never be able to sing. Do you know what Gordon will say? Instantly. He'll, he'll counteract it. And he'll say, yes, you can. I can do all things through Christ Jesus. She'll say, I don't think I'll bother going to town tomorrow because I don't feel well. Gordon will say, Jesus is my life. Jesus is my health. And this every week. 
We've been going there for five years. Every week, it's the same thing. Negative, positive. Negative, positive. Helen, you are stubborn and obstinate. Sorry. <laughs> now, do you know how I know that? Because I'm like Helen and Gordon's like Jeanette. But there's a problem. Please listen closely, folks. When God said to them, I'm not going to speak to you anymore, he said he gave two reasons. You have been disobedient, so I'm not going to speak, but you have also been stubborn. He's talking about, um, you see, it's a lack of faith. If I'm faced with a challenge and I can't overcome it, that's okay. If your little baby can't get over the wall, it's okay, isn't it? You're not going to be harsh on them. But there's another type of unbelief. It's a stubborn unbelief. It's a, it's a refusal to believe. It's a refusal. It's a trench where you've dug yourself in, Helen. You have dug yourself into a negative trench. It's a lifestyle. It's a mindset. It's an attitude that I will not stop saying negative things. All my life I have said negative and I will continue. That's the obstinate. You understand? And the reason I know that is because I am like you. And by the way, Helen, it's not just us two. <laughs> I've got a list here. I'm only joking. Many of you, more than half, maybe more than that, are stubborn in your unbelief. And you should know better. You should know much better. Because the, remember, by the words that come out of a man's mouth, he will either be condemned or justified. Right? So those words, they are life. They, you speak either life or death. That's what you're creating. You're creating your world by what you speak. And so you see, you see Gordon is absolutely right. He's absolutely right. It's like ping pong. Negative, positive. Negative, positive. Just keep on moving forward. Now, four years ago, Helen, you would never pray. Now Helen prays regularly in the group. Hallelujah. Is it next week you're on the team? She said, but you said you would, didn't you? You said you would. She did. Look, she's saying, no, you're doing it again. <laughs> she said she would sing on the team. And just taking steps, take steps. But, I, you know, folks, it begins with the speech. It begins with your speech. You've got to control your speech. Because that gives away the content of your heart. Do you know what David said? I will set a muzzle like a mad dog. I'll put a muzzle on my mouth. And I will forbid myself from speaking anything that is against the word of God. It's like, it's like taking every thought captive. And we look in history and we marvel at the likes of Smith Wigglesworth. You know, you know Smith Wigglesworth. More people raised from the dead in Britain through his ministry than anybody else in history. And you can sit and say, oh, great Smith Wigglesworth. But have you any idea how aggressive Wigglesworth was against any negative statement? Do you know, they tell this story about Wigglesworth. A friend, I think it was his brother, wasn't it, Gordon? Turned up with a with newspaper. His brother turned up at his door coming to visit. <laughs> and he knocks the door and says, hello. And Smith, oh! Onto his arm. A newspaper. You see? Now, Wigglesworth is in faith. His mind is full of faith. His mouth is full of faith. His heart is full of faith. The demons are beneath his feet. The dead are being raised. And he's super sensitive. And the brother comes and he sees the newspaper. And Wigglesworth, you know, aggressively, he has stuck his finger out. 
And he said, brother, you are welcome in my house, but that thing is not. So the brother, okay. <laughs> you see, unbelief, the negativity, being that sensitive, fantastic. How's your speech? How is the growth in the levels of faith? Don't be easy on yourself. You're not going to do yourself any favors. Have you taken action? Steps. Because with no steps, with no work, you know, faith without works is, you don't want your faith to be dead. Now, there's a place to start, no problem. The, 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 the faith is not by doing dead works. The place for me to start is by getting your hearing back and stopping at nothing to get that hearing. And I would say to you, to many of you, if you take it seriously, but many of you will not. <laughs> just being honest. You're just in church because it's Sunday. Many of you will go out and not listen or not do what you're being advised to do. We can't help you. Okay? All day long, I held out my arms to you, and I spoke to you, and I told you, but you were disobedient. You wouldn't do what you were told. And you were stubborn in your unbelief attitude. This is no good. This is no good. This will never acquire this kingdom. Amen. Never acquire the blessings that God has wrought for me and has bought for you. We need to be much more aggressive against unbelief, against negativity. Here's a question for you. How many times in the New Testament did Jesus tell his followers to obey him? A hundred? Who says a hundred? Two hundred? Not once. Not once. Imagine that. Not once did Jesus ever turn to his followers and say, obey me. The closest he came was when he said, if you love me, you will obey me. But instead of saying obey me, what did he say? Have faith. Trust. Belief. Listen. Jesus knew that the root of disobedience, no point in telling them to obey me, because they've got no faith. He knew that the root of the disobedience in his children was unbelief. They didn't obey because they didn't believe. So instead of saying obey, he would encourage them, have faith, trust, believe, listen. These were the commands. And these are the things that bring us into an obedient life, the made righteous by faith. Amen? I say all that for my last slide, just to, to give you these points to take home this Easter. These are the reasons for faith, folks. Very important. Why has God given us faith in the first place? Well, number one, because it is impossible to please God without it. Nothing I do in my life is pleasing to God unless it is done through faith, by faith. Scripture says this in various places and in various ways. You have not been given faith to get rich. Okay? That's not the purpose. You have not been given faith for money. That's not the purpose. You have been given faith, number one, two, to be pleasing to God. And number two, to carry out His will on the earth, His purposes, the kingdom, the church on the earth. Number three, to win and disciple the lost. Very difficult thing to do. Right? To keep a positive attitude towards the lost. To have faith in them. We could spend the day on point three. 
when you, you were out in the street yesterday preaching the gospel, right? But we, we've done many outreaches over the years. You give people a, a, a handful of tracts, you know, and they stand there like this. Do you want a tract? Do you want a tract? Do you want a tract? No faith. No faith. There's no faith. You need faith to win the lost. So that when they, when you, when they see you coming, you say, hello, excuse me, sir. They can sense faith. This guy believes in me. This person believes that his God is willing to save me. You see? You need faith for evangelism. And of course you need faith for discipleship. It's the foundation of discipleship. And we have our discipleship program right now. And it's like, it can be like a machine if we don't plug it in and have faith running through it. The fourth one, we need faith to live in victory over sin and Satan. And the last one, which is the point for today, we need faith to acquire this resurrection life. Now, I repeat to you the question I asked at the beginning. Everybody, please listen, full attention. What's in your room? What's in your room? What a sad thought to think that you may never ever have even thought of it? Never mind endeavored to receive it. Do you know when I was, before school age, I was about four years old. My mother told me this story many times. I was too young to remember. I was about four years old and I was playing in the kitchen floor. And I looked up at my mother and I said, I will never preach. That's what I said. And she heard me. What did you just say? I was frightened. And she said, so I took you aside. What did you just say? She said, you said. And she said, you were so young, you didn't even know what the word preach meant. And I knew that God was in you. You had seen something. You had understood something as a little baby. You see, at four years old, I saw my room. Hallelujah like some glimpse of my future. And as a child who didn't even know what the word meant, I spoke negatively, Helen. I spoke negatively. I saw the dream. I saw the Father's vision for my life. And the first words out of my mouth were, it can't be, it's not going to happen. There is a vision for you. There is a dream for you in your Father's mind in eternity past. And what a sad thing that we live normal lives Instead of resurrection life, the f appropriating the full inheritance in into our everyday lives. Don't be disobedient. Don't be stubborn. Pastor Tom's quite right. He said it's not too late to make a faith pledge. But many of you will not have the faith for that. You won't have done it. Even though you heard you didn't obey and you didn't act in faith. You just gave an offering. But remember this, Jesus said, first, are you interested in this? You interested in the spiritual? Oh, okay, come here, mammon. First, don't look at me, don't blame me. This is how God works. First, we're gonna start with money then. Make a, make, a, make a pledge. So good, God, so good. It's a very easy route, by the way. It's a very easy route. I challenge you. Here, obey your parents. Obey your, your work, bosses. Okay? Wives, obey your husbands. 
Obey your leaders. Okay? Be, be obedient in all things. And then when you go to listen, God will speak. God will speak to you. And that can just put energy into your faith. Start to take action. Don't let yourself off the hook with good feelings. Action. Faith without works is dead. So don't fool yourself. You need to progress to action so that your faith can begin to grow. And I pray this is New Year's Day for the Jews today. I pray on this New Year's Day that this coming year, 12 to 13, is the best year of faith, the pearl of great price, that you get wise about kingdom things and you pursue faith. You pursue that pearl. Stand up, please. And just stay focused. Bow your heads. I'm just going to give you a moment to make your peace with God. Start with your parents. You may want to ask God. They may not be alive. Both my parents are dead now. That doesn't matter. You, 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 you can ask God to forgive you for any bad attitude as a child or as an adult towards the parents he gave you. Forgive us, God, that we did not listen when they were speaking. And God, in work, if I've got a bad attitude, Scripture says I should obey those who are over me, that the, the gospel will not get a bad reputation. I pray in our workplace that we will be exemplary employees, even if we're mocked. We will be exemplary, obedient employees. God, for the government and our tax bill and whatever else, we obey the laws in the country. And ultimately, judgment begins with the house. And so, God, in this house, as a church, these people are great, God. They're very obedient. I pray you will continue us walking in obedience. And, God, for stubbornness that's in me and myself and Helen as examples, if you like, but the whole congregation, we lift our own unbelief, our stubbornness and unbelief to you, and we ask you to forgive us, God. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us that 10 years, 20 years saved and still negative, God, it should not be so, cannot be so, must not be so. But we repent today. When we leave this place, the promises of God will be yes and amen. I just give you a moment to pray your own personal prayer with Jesus.